My name is Josh McLean. I'm one of the pastors here at Hagerstown Church, and it is my privilege to bring uh, the, the message this morning. And our text will be from the Gospel of, drumroll please, Mark. Uh, yeah, that was underwhelming. Hopefully the, the text that we read will not be. I don't believe that it will disappoint. But Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. This morning we're returning from our nine weeks uh, study on the gospel-centered life, and we're entering back into our study of the, the gospel of Mark. I want to just say this. We are a people that believe that the word of God makes a people, that the word of God shapes and fashions the community, the church. And so we as a church, we, we love uh, to sing, we love to pray, but all of these things we long for them to be shaped and fashioned by the Word of God. And so uh, we want to systematically work through books of the Bible. And so we took a break. We started uh, the Gospel of Mark. We started studying this, this, uh, this, chat, or this Gospel, this book, uh, back in February. I think it was February 2nd is when we began. We took, a, like I said, a nine-week break. And this morning, we'll jump back into it. So Mark chapter 4 and verse number 26 is where we'll begin. This is what the Word of God says. And he said, speaking of Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, this is our prayer, that you would begin and continue to shape and fashion your people through the reading and study of your word. We pray that your, your church will be helped, that those that are far will be drawn near, and we ask these things be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. This parable is, the, is a unique parable. This passage is a unique passage to the gospel of Mark. And so it's not found in any of the other gospel writers. There's a beauty in the harmony of the gospels. And I love that Mark, though the sampling, the teachings of Jesus are, are concrete, that he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to shape and fashion this book as he records the truths and teachings of Jesus. So what's interesting is that this passage that is included in Mark, but is not included in the other Gospels, speaks to the fact that Mark is not speaking to who Matthew spoke to, at least initially. That Mark's got a specific audience, an initial audience, that he is trying to address. That he's not trying to address, but under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, he is effectively addressing. Do you remember anything about Mark's initial audience? It's been a while. It's been a few months. We've had a few pandemics in, the, in between that first sermon that I spoke on February 2nd. This is what some of the information that I shared with you about this audience. The, the audience, the gospel, or sorry, the gospel of Mark was written sometime between 65 AD and 67. This is what most people believe. The Roman church was experiencing the fires of persecution. Even martyrdom had, as well, uh, was well known and experienced among the members of the churches there. Mark addresses himself, or addresses himself to this situation his purpose here to uh, the, the church there was not necessarily historical or even biographical, but it was intensely practical. He was writing a book for the guidance and support of the fellow Christians there in Rome that were facing an intense crisis, persecution. 
And so here is what Mark is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he records the words of Jesus for our benefit. He's saying this, in his kingdom, God is the one who gives the increase. In the kingdom of God, God is the one who gives the increase. And he uses this parable to help us to understand. And I said that the initial audience, because Mark wasn't just writing to random people. He had a particular group in mind, but the Holy Spirit had another group in mind. And we are a group within that group. And so this word is for us this morning. You need to know this. You need to be encouraged by this. You need to be corrected by this, that in God's kingdom, he is the one who gives the increase. As we walk through the text, back through it here in just a moment, we're going to see uh, three seasons or three time periods. The first is this, a time for sowing. It's not difficult for us to understand there's a time for sowing. We're also going to see that there's a time for growing. There's a time for growing. And then finally, we'll see a time for harvesting. This is, again, very simple, easy for us to grasp. Jesus is speaking through this simple parable. And so let's back up and go look at verse 26. Take a look at sowing. So verse 26 says this, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Have you ever noticed that Jesus uses commonplace, understandable images? He could have used all kinds of images that people would have been mildly aware of, they would have known about them, but they wouldn't have really experienced it. He could have used, uh, and things probably more fitting, you would think, of a kingdom. He could have used uh, pictures of glinty chariots, chariots, pictures of opulent kings or fierce gladiators. All of these images would seem fitting to use to describe a kingdom, kingdom of a king. Yet when Jesus describes his kingdom, he's ushering in, he uses ordinary everyday pictures, particularly this morning of seeds. It's something that we can understand. And even though we understand the gist of parables, it, it can be challenging on what level we are to apply this or how we are to interpret it. At what level are we to make this connection? This parable may point to the fact that Christ and his work in initiating the kingdom of God is what's at, in view. Thinking back to Mark chapter 1, Jesus shows up right? After the arrest of John the Baptist, he begins to, to say, I'm going I'm to usher in the kingdom. And he begins to preach about repentance and faith. Maybe that's what this passage is speaking of. Maybe Jesus is the one who's scattering the seed. Some believe that that's true. Others believe that this is a picture of evangelism. And that what's actually taking place in this parable is there's a man that's an evangelist and he's out there and it's many of us, a man and a woman or, or many of us that are out sowing seed in the field and that seed is the gospel. Some people interpret it in that way. Jesus doesn't give us any explanation as to what exactly he's speaking of and so we're, we're trying to deduce. Which one is it? Is this about Christ working in the kingdom and ushering that in? Is this about us as we evangelize and as we share the good news of the gospel that everybody needs to hear, so many long to hear? Or is it about sanctification? Is this about you when the seeds of the word are sown in your heart that you begin to be sanctified? You begin, begin to become more holy or more godly, not in some self, uh, self-assumed way, but in reality, really watching yourself become more and more like Christ. 
Which one is it? Well, here's my answer. It's all of these. This is a parable that is speaking of a principle that does find its initial application or, or, or equivalent there in the life of Christ. Now, how he does usher in the kingdom of God as he preaches this good news and he calls us to repent and believe and submit to this king. This particular passage is teaching us that only through God do we see increase. And so only under the, the teaching, only under the, the direction and leadership of Jesus Christ will we begin to see this increase be given. Only under him, through his seed, will God bless and it begin to grow. And so that's true. But that principle of God giving the increase in the kingdom of Christ, as we see and read about at the beginning of Mark, is also true in your life as an evangelist. In your life as one who shares the gospel. This idea that if you are to sow the seed of the gospel, that only through God will you begin to see fruit. And only, additionally, through God working in your heart, will the gospel begin to bear fruit in your life towards sanctification. And so that principle that we see of God giving, bringing about the increase, bringing about the growth in your life is, is true on every level within the kingdom of God. It's like gravity. How, how big do you have to be? How much mass do you have to be and for gravity to affect you? Well, the, the truth of gravity applies on every level. And from every height, gravity is still there. And so I would encourage you to think about this principle from a macro to a micro level. On every area within the kingdom of God, it is God who gives the increase. And so who is this man, this initial man that's preaching that's sowing the seed of the gospel? Well, it's Jesus. It is initially, it's Jesus. We saw, we saw this in Mark 1. Jesus came, what? What did he do? He came proclaiming the gospel of God, it says in verse 14 of chapter 1 in Mark. In verse 15, it says, and he was saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so first and foremost, Jesus is this man alone in the field, spreading the seed and sharing the gospel. And yet, just as Jesus was sent from the Father, even so, what? He sent his disciples. We've been sent into a lost and dying world to tell others about what Jesus has done for us. The holy creator, the righteous judge, he's wrathful toward those who have sinned against him. And so if you haven't repented of your sin, if you haven't found rescue and, and, and respite in the shade of the cross then God's wrath is against you as well. And here I am, one of the many disciples of Jesus Christ, telling you my story and calling you to repent and find forgiveness in Christ. I'm sowing a seed this morning. I'm not the only one who has a seed to sow, whether you're a preacher, a missionary, a pastor, a church member, a pastoral assistant, an intern, a mom or a dad, a brother or a neighbor, if you're in Christ, you have a story to tell. You have a gospel to share. You have seed to sow. And so in this time of sowing, what are we to be doing? There's going to be a correlation between each time with an action that you 
are to take. And that action for you this morning is to release. We have seeds in our hands. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very thing that this entire world needs. Whether you're in Liberia or Hancock or wherever, I mean, it doesn't matter. You need this truth. And so if you have that truth, would you not release that in the field? Would you not release that in the field? We should all be like the great examples that we find in the Bible. There are so many of them that heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that were a part of that kingdom of God that went with that gospel. I'll give you a few. The first is Paul. Paul. He sets a great example for us as he hears this good news. He receives the seed, the bag of seed, and Jesus sends him on his way. And what does he do? He goes, and throughout the known world, what? Sharing this good news that he has, releasing it around the world. We don't just see that in the life of Paul, but in the Gospels, we hear of this several blind men, one in particular. What does he do? He says, I don't know what's happened. I can't tell you all the ins and outs, but here's what I know. I used to be blind, and now I'm not. And it's because of Jesus. Maybe that's all you know about the gospel this morning. Maybe you just know this. I used to be blind. I used to not be able to see the sin that was destroying me, but now by the grace of God, I can see it, and I've turned from it, and I've placed my faith in Jesus. Maybe that's all you know. And like the blind man, would you not release that seed to those around you? Would you not scatter that seed We hear a similar story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. What does she say? Come see a man. Come see a man. He's got great news. He knows everything about me. He had the answer to my issue, and I know for a fact that he has the answers to yours as well. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this not be the Christ? And what did they do? They went out of the town, and they were coming to Jesus. So consider this first and foremost. This is a time of sowing. If you have the seeds, will you hold them in your pocket? Will you just count seeds, organize seeds by color? Or you get to work out in the field, whatever field that God has placed you in, and will you begin to release those seeds into the field? This is what we are called to do. In this season of sowing, when we share the gospel with another person, we have no control over the results, though. So this is a season of sowing, but... In a sense, when we have sown the seed, when we've released it, what do we do at that point? Do we worry about the results? Do we scramble? Do we fret? Do we take pride in what we've done and sit back and enjoy that? No. Our duty, when the seed is sown, is to rest. In this next section that we see in verses 27 through 28, we see this time of growing. We see a time of growing. Let me read those verses again. Verse 27, it says, He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. We're going to spend most of our time this morning discussing these two verses and this idea, this time, this season of growing. Why? Well, not just because... Out of the four verses that we're looking at this morning, that two of them have to do with growing. That's part of why. But the biggest reason why we're going to spend most time here is because this is the point of this passage. This is the point of the parable. This growing section. It's interesting. You have a lot, as a Christian, you have a lot to do with the sowing. 
And you have a lot to do with this time period of harvesting. But you have very little, actually nothing to do with this part, this time of growing. You have very little, if anything. Nothing, really, in reality, nothing at all to do. What does this man do? He sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed has been sown, and now he waits. He sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed, what does it do? It sprouts and it grows. And he doesn't even know how it's doing that. He doesn't even understand. This demonstrates the, uh, the, the lack of dependence that the growth of that seed has on this sower, on this farmer. At this point, he, he's, he's put the seeds in the field, and now he's just gone to bed. And he wakes up and he goes and looks. Nothing much has changed. And then he goes back to bed and he wakes up and he comes back to the field and he looks and nothing much has changed. What is he doing in that moment? He's, he's not anxious. He's not worried. He recognizes that something's taking place. He's seen it time and time again. But at this point in his life, in his work, he doesn't have anything to do. It reminds me of Psalm chapter 3. This is what the psalmist says. I laid me down. Everybody was against me. There was so much work to be done. And the psalmist says, I laid me down and I awakened and the Lord sustained me. He was saying, I knew at this point in my life, the psalmist says, and he was in dire straits. But he says at that time in his life, I laid down recognizing that I could do that and the Lord would sustain me. This is what the farmer is doing. This is what the sower is doing. He's done the work of sowing the seed, but he, and, he, and he wants that seed to grow. He wants to one day harvest, but he says, there's nothing more that I can do. I'll lay down and take a nap. I'll lay down and take a nap. And that's kind of what the psalmist is saying. I, I want to protect myself. I want to live. I want to raise my children and my grandchildren and praise God and do the work that he's called me to do, but I can't protect my life. I can only do so much, and now I'm just going to lay down and take a nap knowing that God, the sovereign, one that rules the universe, he will sustain me. It says the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't even know how it happens. Not only is he uninvolved at this point in the game and not only is he asleep but he doesn't even know how it's occurring even the wisest farmer at the end of the day will say you know what uh, i just i just put the seeds in the dirt and god does the rest even scientists we can we can attempt and we have reproduced seeds but you know what happens when we put our seeds in the dirt they rot And yet the seeds that we've received from the earth and we put them back in the earth, what happens? They automatically, in a sense, produce fruit. Few things in life are as magical in our minds as the growth of a seed. Do you remember the first time that you were really introduced to how that works? Maybe you were in fourth grade and fifth, fifth grade and maybe you got some seeds and your teacher like wrapped them in a paper towel with a little bit of water and put it in a plastic bag and everybody wrote their names on it and you taped it on the, on the window and you kept an eye on it every day and maybe you even measured it and you checked it. And when you begin to see the, the magic, as it were, of it begin to grow, your mind is just like filled with wonder. How could this happen? This is, this is amazing. I suppose I'll never get over how a seed grows. It truly is a miracle. In a word, it's, it's incredible. I want to give you a few things 
that I drew out of this text that speak about this idea of growth. I'm going to give you three. The first thing I'm going to point out about this growth is that it's a secret growth. It's a secret growth. It says that he, he knows not how. He doesn't even know how it happens. In a sense, it's secret. Maybe some of you have messed around with Rubik's Cubes. Rubik's Cubes are, 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 are interesting to me. I always thought that they were the, the height of intelligence as a child. And then I got one and I found out that they're just algorithms. And anybody, literally anybody can get on YouTube. And if you can pause, if you can hit the space bar. And you, not to mock, but if you're not colorblind... You can solve that cube. All you have to do is find the right video and follow the algorithm. Or you can just read it on a piece of paper. You can download it. And you just follow this technique. You follow these steps and you can solve the Rubik's Cube. You know, seeds are not that way. We can't make something grow. We can't follow certain techniques or algorithms to make it happen. We can't make the church grow. We can't bring our kids to Christ. We can't uh, convert our neighbors. We can't do any of these things through algorithms or techniques. It's a, it's a secret work that God does. One pastor put it this way, and I love it. He said, human ingenuity, emotional manipulation, man-centered techniques, and market-driven strategies cannot create new life in the heart of a sinner. Regeneration is only by the Spirit of God. Though believers are all called to faithfully proclaim the message. They can take no credit when unbelievers respond in repentant faith. And so we can sow the seed. We can do all the things right. We can follow all the techniques that we get from the books of church growth or evangelism. But at the end of the day, we can take no credit when somebody comes from death to life. And that seed begins to grow and produce fruit. It's not something that we have any control over or any involvement in. And so it's a secret growth. It is the work of the Spirit as he regenerates those who are dead in their sins. And so it's a secret work. Look at verse 28. It says, The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And so what this teaches us is that it's a steady growth. It's a steady growth. And in response to steady growth, we need to have patience, don't we? Some of you, it's not difficult. You remember the, the wonder that you saw, that you had in your heart as you saw that seed begin to grow. But it took a while, didn't it? Some seeds, they grow faster than others depending on, on what kind it is or how much water, what all the, 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 the other variables that are at play. Maybe you had to have a little bit of extra patience because you, your seed, didn't grow as fast as the neighbors. Maybe you were dis, disheartened because your seed didn't actually bust out with that little tiny stem or leaf first. Maybe it was the, the, the goody two-shoes there in the class. Either way, we know this, that we have to have patience we're ending the season of, of gardening, and many of you have had your gardens, and I've tasted of the fruits of your labor there in that garden. I'm thankful for that. But you had to have patience, didn't you? Especially if you begin planting with the, with the seeds. You didn't do the cheating way and go to Home Depot or Lowe's. 
right? You had to have that patience. You can't plant today and pick tomorrow. And that's a principle that's true of the kingdom of God as well. Hardly ever do we plant today and pick tomorrow. We have to have patience because it's a steady growth. It's a secret growth. It's one that we are uninvolved in, but it's also a steady growth. I I think of James chapter 5. It says, Therefore be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so it's a principle within the kingdom of God that we have to be patient. That's always been true of the people of God. When we first thought, we first heard in our ears the promise that God would send a deliverer in Genesis chapter 3, and we waited, and we waited, and he said, I'm sending someone to deliver you. And time went on, and he gave more to that story, more fleshing it out, what to expect, increasing anticipation, and at the same time increasing the need for patience. And then... What happened on that first Christmas? He was there. Advent. He had arrived. Emmanuel. God was with us. The head crusher was there. And even still yet, there was more patient waiting to be done. There the disciples. They were waiting for the Spirit. They were waiting for the answer. They were waiting for the resurrected Lord. And then, finally, he came. And then he said, I'm leaving and I'll return. Wait for me patiently. And here we are, 2,000 years later, what are we doing as the people of God? We are patiently waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior. And we see steady growth. It's increasing. And yet we have to have patience. We should never expect a a full crop of, of, of Christian graces immediately. But what do we do? As we wait, as we patiently await the coming of our Lord, as we patiently await the, the, our evangelistic efforts and the sowing of the seed to bear fruit, what are we to do? I think of Psalm 126.5 that says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And so what do we do? Well, we, we wait and we wait with tears and prayers, anticipating with hope that God will do what he said he will do you think about the difference between building a house and growing a garden think about that think about actually building a house some of you you've done that before some of you have grown a garden maybe you've done both of those in your life how are they the same how are they different well with both of them we we do see fruit but initially with building a house it's quite different than it is growing a garden maybe the first day of building a house I'm, I'm not a construction worker I don't build houses so don't ask me to, uh, to do that on my, on my part time, on side time. You don't want that. I imagine one of the first things that you do is you begin to dig a hole, right? Yesterday there was grass. Maybe there was rock. At the end of the week, what do you see? Well, you, you begin to see progress. You begin to see uh, a hole where the basement's going to go. And you begin to visualize, oh, that's what's going to take place. That's where that's going to go. Maybe the next week the guys that come, they come and pour the, the concrete footers. And then, then the masons come and they begin to, to lay it up. And every single day you can see a little bit of work. And maybe if you're the general contractor, you're like, why am I paying these guys? Well, you see the little bit of incremental work that they do every single day. 
So initially, when you're building a house, you begin to see it, and, and toward the end, it becomes a little more difficult, but you begin to see growth every single day. And it's different in, the gar- in, a, in a garden, isn't it? It's not the same. And so you do the preparation, you plant that garden, and then you begin to, s- to wait and see what's going to happen, and it's lots of wait- waiting, it's lost, lots of patience. But if we stick with it, with that garden, in hope and in prayer, what happens? We begin to see the fruit. And it's a sure growth. And so it's a secret growth. It's a steady growth. But it's also a sure growth. We get that from the text. Look at verse 28. It says it, it produces fruit. What? How? By itself. And so it's a sure growth. The seed's growth is inherent in the seed. How did we get that seed? Where did that seed come from? Well, it, it came from last year's harvest, right? Or maybe the, years bef- the year before. Verse 28 says it produces fruit by itself. The, the Greek word underneath there is automatos. I'll give you a guess as to what, the, what that kind of leans towards. Automatos. Automatic. Automatic. I don't want you to port back in our English word uh, automatic back into the, the, the Greek word here. But it's helpful for us to understand what's taking place. It says it's producing fruit by itself. It's automatically producing fruit. That, that word is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in Acts chapter 12. And that's when the prison gates opened automatically by themselves. And Peter walks out of prison. Here's, the, here's what's happening. When the word of God is faithfully sown, it will faithfully grow. There will be a harvest. It's a, it's a promise. It's something that we can take to the bank. It's a surety. Maybe you're like me and you find yourself watching Little House on the Prairie. And it seems, yeah. Was that pity? It's a good show. It seems like they had this constant theme in the first couple seasons of Paul doesn't have a whole lot of money. And so they can't do the things that they need to do, but he's hopeful. He's going to plant the seeds. They're going to have a great crop. They're going to work together. And by this next season, by this time next year, what's going to happen? Oh, it's going to be great. They're going to pay off their loan down at the general store. They're not going to get those smirks from Nellie who we all despise. Paul is going to redeem everything, right? But it happens so many times in that story. I'm so tired of it. It's depressing. What happens? Something happens. Something it's either a fire, it's hail, it's a tornado, it's the cows from the neighbor's pasture got over and trampled, whatever. Something always happens. They lose everything and they're back to square one. Paul, what does he do? He, he plants, he sows, he patiently waits and maybe even gets to harvest but still somehow all is lost. But when we plant the seed of the word of God, we have a promise that though it is a secret growth, it's a growth that we are uninvolved in. It is a steady growth and it is a sure growth. We can rest in that. There will be a harvest. I think of Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. He's not going to drop the ball. He's not going to make a mistake. In basketball terms, Jesus has the ball. It's like, hey, in the, in the huddle, it's like, hey, give the ball to Jesus. It's the power. He's the power of God to salvation. He's the one that's going to make the game-winning shot. If we sow that seed and it goes to Christ, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to 
We're going to end with a game-winning celebration. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And I want you to notice something. So we kind of talk about this, this responsibility that we have to sow and then the work that God does after we sow, the leading to the harvest, it, it really helps to balance out God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Do you notice that? How much, if we were to look at this passage here, we were just to remove the man that went out into the field and in the, in the casting of the seed, the releasing of the seed into the field, what would the rest of the story look like? There wouldn't be a rest of the story, right? It would look more like Little House on the Prairie. Nothing ever happened. There was no power. There was no fruit. There was no help. And yet, is it up to the man? No, well, this man takes a nap. He doesn't even make it grow. If it weren't for this automatic growth in the field, that, the power in the seed, what would happen? Nothing. So it helps to balance out the responsibility that man has, obviously, under the sovereignty of God. If we were to continue to flesh out this parable, here's what we would see. This man, why was he in the field? Is it his field? No. He's sent out into the field to sow the seed, to work for the owner. And, what, and so in that way, he was sent sovereignly to sow, and now he'll reap because of the work that God has done in the field. If you were a disciple of Jesus hearing this parable, how would you feel? If you understood the text, if you understood what was actually the context, what was happening, Jesus saying, hey, there was a man that went out into the field. He didn't even know what he was doing. He just knew if he put this seed in the dirt and then went and took a nap, that it would grow and he could come back and get something to eat. If you were a disciple, what would you be thinking when you heard that? So we know Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God. And he's chosen us to be instrumental in the leadership at the beginning of this kingdom. That sounds pretty good. And he just got done pointing out that the power is not in our, our ability to sow seed. It's not in our ability to talk. It's not in our ability to write. It's not in our ability to lead. It's not in our ability to, to, to make friends. But the, abil- the power is in the seed itself. So imagine hearing this from your master and you'd be thinking, Whoa, you'd be relieved, wouldn't you? Wait a minute, this isn't about me. I'm just a worker in the field. I'm just somebody that's been called and sent and given this powerful seed. And the work is not on me. It's on God. The command for the disciples to go, and the confident statement that Jesus gives, he says, I will build my church. I will build it to the point that the gates of hell will not be over to overpower. They'll, they'll not overcome it. Isaiah chapter 55, if you're taking notes, what a, what a beautiful passage. Isaiah 55, speaking of the word of God, this is what he says. So will my word B, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire. And without succeeding in the matter, and, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it, it won't come back to me void. It won't come back to me without having accomplished what I sent it to do. 
You say, can we mess that up? If you put the seed in the dirt, God does the rest of the work. So this growth was secret and sure and steady. It was provided by God. And what a comfort that was to his disciples in those days. And it's a comfort for us as well. This task of saving sinners rested in a sense that disciples may think on their own shoulders, but to know that the power was in the word of God. And their responsibility was to faithfully preach the gospel. And so that's my responsibility. That's your responsibility if you're a Christian this morning. And after we've done that, when we've done that, in each and every particular situation, we can say we, we trust God with the results. The diligent evangelist whose message corresponds is accurately portraying the true gospel can sleep soundly at night, just as this man can. Why? Because it's God who causes the growth. Imagine having to go through life without that confidence. Imagine that. Without the confidence of knowing that when you do what you've been called to do, that it will turn out the way that it's supposed to turn out. Some of you, when I ask you to imagine that, you don't have to work too hard because you feel the, the weight of that every day in your life. You, you feel the, the weight that you've got to do something, that you've got to turn over a new leaf. You've got to believe a little harder. You've got to try a little more. You've got to add some more things into your schedule because if you don't, you won't see any growth and you know that reality. You have no confidence in the fact that the word of God is powerful in your own life. So the farmer, what does he do? He, again and again, he responds in this time of growth by sleeping. And you say, I'd like to get some sleep. I'd like to rest. What does rest look like when we don't understand this principle that God gives the increase? What does it look like? What does your life look like? Well, from the outside, it could look like one of two ways. This is a generalization, but it can look like busyness or slothfulness. It can look like busyness or slothfulness. When you don't truly understand that God gives the increase. Why busyness? Because you think in your mind, I must do more. I've got to do something else. I put some seed out, but I've got to go put more seed. And I've got to put more seed. And I've got to put different seed. And I've got to go get some more books that talk about the methods and the, and the metrics. I've got to do something different. It all depends on me. When we are not resting... When it comes to sowing seed, but we are busy and busy and busy, what are we saying? It all depends on me. And so that's one side of the spectrum. It's one reason, that's one way that we avoid rest. The other way is slothfulness. Slothfulness. We say some things like this in our, in our minds. We say, my contribution doesn't matter. It all depends on God. And I have no part in this. And while that may seem wise and even accurate on one level on another it's not because God in his sovereignty has determined that they will not hear without someone going with that message and so for those of you who are Christians here this morning that have heard the gospel you've seen your own sinfulness you've felt it and you've looked to God the righteous judge but you've seen the cross that spans the gap and you say this is what I need this is good news how did you come across that? How did you hear about this? Was it not somebody that told you, maybe in a similar a format to what we're doing right now, somebody opening the word of God and, and, and preaching that? 
Maybe it was somebody on television or maybe it was somebody on YouTube or Facebook or something like that. Maybe, it was, maybe you actually read it from the Bible even still then. Where did you get that Bible? Somebody printed it. Somebody placed it in your hand or made it available to you. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without somebody telling them? They won't. You say, well, how can God be sovereign? He has sovereignly determined that we, his people, will go into the field and to spread the gospel. So busyness, it all depends on me. Slothfulness, it all depends on him, and I have no part in this. Both of these are error. Both of these are wrong. And that's what's going on in on the out. That's what's looking, uh, that's what it looks like on the outside. We see sometimes either busyness or slothfulness instead of rest. But what's happening in the heart? There's a couple things that are happening in the heart. I'm going to bring those to your attention. The first is anxiety. After we sow our seeds, we get caught up in anxiety and we ask questions like this over and over again. Will it grow? Will it grow? I need it to grow. I need it to grow. I need to see fruit. I need to pay off that bill. I need to do this. I need to do that, right? In the words of Paul. Maybe in your life you're saying, I, I, I've got to see more growth in my life. If not, I, I don't know what I'll do. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. What if it doesn't grow? And so you pace back and forth. There's no rest for you. Your story would be similar maybe. You, you're the farmer, but you're pacing back and forth. And at night when you should be resting... You've not been. You've been tossing and turning. And then you get up in the middle of the night and you go back out and you look at the field and you wonder, is it going to grow? It'll be fruit. And so you're overcome with anxiety. That's what's happening in your heart. You're not trusting the God that says, I will do this work. I will cause it to grow. The thing that I've started, I'll finish. I won't let my word return void or empty. But maybe that's not you. Maybe it's not anxiety. Maybe it's just full-on pride and self-confidence. You're saying in your heart, you're saying in your mind, it will grow. It will. I will do everything in my power to ensure that it's going to grow. Maybe maybe that's you as a parent. You're saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that my child grows up to honor the Lord with their life. I'm going to do it. I'll make sure it happens. It all depends on me. The way that I do education, the way that we do family worship, the way that I pray, the way that I do this, I'll make sure that it happens. And you act in your life as if everything depends on you. That if any gospel fruit comes, it will, become, it will be because of you. Many of you, you act this way. Even to the point where you say, well, I didn't share the gospel in the, in the correct way. And that's the reason why we've not seen the fruit. Well, if you shared the gospel faithfully, the power is in the seed. The power is in the word of God. It doesn't need you. And so in that, in that moment, what can you do? You can, in a sense, you can rest. And so whether, whether you're stuck in busyness or slothfulness, that's not rest. Or whether you are overcome with anxiety or even pride, these are not rest either. If you're writing things down, I want to encourage you to write this down, this statement. Rest is only possible when you know where your responsibility ends and God's begins. Rest is only possible when you know where your responsibility ends and God's begins. So where does your responsibility end? As it relates to evangelism, we sow the seed. We share the gospel. As it relates to sanctification, we live the gospel-centered life. We look at the gospel. 
we look at the gospel, we keep the seed in the dirt. And faith, we expect God to give the fruit. Rest, recognizing that he will do what we can't do. Whether it's in a relationship or in your own heart, he will do the work. And I want to say this too. Resting is not so much a matter of the hand, but it's a matter of the heart. It's not so much a matter of the hand, but it's a matter of the heart. And so you say, well, what, I, I've, stopped, I've stopped doing things. I've stopped acting like I had to do more for something to happen. But you know, even in that situation, you still could be guilty of not resting, of not truly believing that God is the one that gives the increase. And so ask your heart. Look into your own heart. Ask those in your community around you. As you, can, as you read the word of God, ask the spirit of God to speak into you, to use the word of God as a knife to reveal what's going on in your heart. Are you really resting in God? Or are you somehow trying to conjure this up and make something happen? That type of fruit never lasts. It never lasts. And so we saw the need for sowing. We saw the need of resting and there in the, in the, in the period growth but now finally let's look at the the period of of the harvest the time of the harvest look at verse 29 it says but when the grain is ripe at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come farmer he has to be looking he's monitoring the field and no he can't make the grain grow but he can be ready for harvest day and so that's what he's done he's rested up and he's ready to put the sickle into the field if you've ever been discouraged as you've sought sanctification in your own life or evangelism in the lives of others. This parable, this story is what you need to hear. Not to lose heart. Why? Because you in due season will reap if you don't grow weary. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 encourages us to that point as well. You'll notice that the man, obviously, he's a farmer, in this parable, he, he shows up only two times to do work. The first is to sow, and the second is to reap. At the beginning, he sows those seeds, and then when it's time, he comes back to harvest. I want you to see, as we continue to consider this balance of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, begins with man. What does he do? Well, he, he sows. It ends with man. What does he do? Well, he harvests. But who gives the increase? Who grows? Who does the work? God does. Again, sovereignly sent into the world, we, we, we reap a harvest. So there's a precious promise that's given to each and every one of us who faithfully sow the gospel seed. We see it throughout the New Testament. We see it in Galatians chapter 6. We also see it in, in, in Psalm 126, as I referenced just a moment ago. When we keep on sowing, when we keep watering in the Lord's time, there will be a harvest. He promises that. In our own lives, as it relates to sanctification, as it relates to us evangelizing, he promised that. And generally speaking, as we consider the kingdom of God, of course, he is doing the work. When you are dead in your sins, who brought you to life? Who sowed a seed in your heart? Was it you? No. As we trance, uh, kind of come to a close, I want to ask a question here that 
that stuck out to me. I consider the story that Paul speaks about. He says, hey, you know what? Some people, they sow. Others water. God gives the increase, but you may sow and you may water, but you may not actually harvest. Harvest may come, but you may not be the one that does it. And I want to ask just a quick question, not necessarily from this text, but are you okay with that? Are you okay if you plant a seed in this field, it's the gospel seed, and you sow and you sow and you sow and you water and you water and you water and you wait patiently, but guess what happens? You never reap the benefit. Are you okay with that? Are you, are you okay if some other chump shows up on the first day, walks down that row and says, look, somebody has done the work here. Somebody has sown a seed. Somebody has labored and watered it. Somebody has suckered it and, and removed all of the, the stuff that would destroy it. They've cultivated the earth. And, and now I don't get to taste that fruit. Are you okay with that? You know, this is the, the way of the kingdom of God. And here's why that's okay. Here's why it's okay for you to sow and for you to water, but for you not to harvest. Because it's not your field. It's not your field. And so if you think for one second that you, this parable is about you, and you're going into your field with this seed that God gave you, so now it's your seed and you're planting it, and one day you'll harvest, and then you'll gather all these things up and then go to God and be like, hey, thanks for investing in me. You're going to be a disappointed, frustrated, possibly even angry individual. Why? Because it's not our field. It's, it was never your field. This is God's field. This is God's seed. And so we have to be okay with when we release the seed, when we release the gospel, when we rest in the gospel, we may not ever see the benefits of that work. We may never read, but we know in faith that this is the truth. It's not my field. It's not my glory. It's not my harvest. It's God's. And he will reap from that field. He will. He promised that he would. And so we as faithful laborers can rest in that. This morning, as we come to a close, I want to just do a quick review and then introduce one final thing and we're done. So in a time of sowing, what are we to do? Well, we're to release the gospel. We're to release the gospel. If you're a Christian, that's, what, that's your job. In a time of sowing, we, we, we send the gospel. We cast the seeds. There's a time of growing. And in that time, what do we do? Well, we rest in the gospel. We rest in it, knowing that God will do the work. And finally, as we come to this time of harvest, we're looking and then we see it's time and we reap of the gospel. So if you're a Christian, this is what we're called to do. And all of this knowing that God gives the increase. But I want to give one final call this morning. And it's not for the Christian, it's for the unbeliever. And that call is to receive. A few weeks ago, I should say a few months ago, as we were walking through the beginning part of, of Mark, we read of the parable of the soils. It's a similar passage. It's, 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 it's also got a similar theme. It's, it's, it's talking about the kingdom of God, helping us to understand what's happening in the kingdom. And it talks about the different types of soil and how they receive the word of God, how they receive the seed. And some of them receive the soil in a good, or receive the seed in a good way, and some of the soils do not. And so if you're here this morning, you say, I, I, I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. And I want to help you. I want to speak to you. We're so glad that you're here. 
Here's what the word of God says. In James chapter one, it says this. It says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so what are you to do? You're to receive with meekness, with gratitude and humility, the word of God, which is the gospel, which alone is able to save your soul. What is that gospel? What is that implanted word? It's this, that God is more holy than you can imagine. You are more sinful than you know, but the cross of Christ is more powerful than you currently know. And that the work of God through the cross of Christ can save your soul. Will you believe that? Will you receive that? Christians, in faith, we plant seeds knowing that in joy we will one day reap the harvest and that God will give the increase. I want to close with this. Think about that statement. God gives the increase. Think about this as you meditate on that throughout the week, maybe even in life group, that God gives the increase. Not you, not anybody else. God gives the increase. And then think about it this way. God gives the increase. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work hard for it. It's given as a gift. God gives the increase. And think about this, the increase. What is the increase? It's the fact that our souls can be saved and that we as Christians can be invited in to this great harvest where he will do the work. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful this morning. I'm so thankful that you've invited me into this. And you don't need me. You don't need me to to be a part and to sow these seeds. And yet you've sovereignly and lovingly invited me in to be a part of that. And so I thank you for that. And and you've not just done that for me, but you've done that for this church, for Hagerstown Church. You've called each and every one of us to be invited into this and to be evangelistic and to share the gospel in hope, knowing that when in joy or when in hope we sow, we will enjoy reap. And so you don't need us, but you've invited us in. And so we thank you for that. Father, would you help us to truly see this process for what it is? It's you giving the increase. It's you building your kingdom. Father, may we rest in that. May we not be caught up in busyness or slothfulness. Father, let us not be encumbered with anxiety or with pride. But may we all humbly receive this word that's able to save our souls. And may we not go even this week. And Father, help us to be patient, but would you allow us to see some fruit Would you allow us to begin to be a part of that harvest here in Hagerstown? We ask these things to be done, not for our glory or even for ultimately and primarily our joy, but for yours and in the name of Jesus. Amen.